This is a view from the couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. And I am back after a week of not recording, which we will talk about here in a few minutes of uh, why that ended up happening. I'm back today to review uh, the two games that we've already had so far this season, but also give you this week's viewing guide to set you up for the weekend ahead in college football. And of course, preview the SEC opener between Georgia and South Carolina. So thank you so much for understanding why there was no episode last week. Uh, Hopefully you'll understand a little better once I've explained myself a bit. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy the episode today. Let's get started. Obviously, it has been a couple of weeks since Georgia went on, uh, well, not really on the road so much as uh, traveled to Charlotte to take on Clemson and won that game. Um, So there's not a lot that you can really say about it, which is actually one of the reasons that I, I didn't come out with a podcast last week is because after the big win, I didn't really know what to say. I It's been a long time since Georgia won a game like that. Really, in my opinion, you have to go all the way back to the Rose Bowl at the beginning of 2018 and the win over Oklahoma to come up with a game that Georgia has won of that magnitude. And and to be honest, Georgia hasn't won that kind of game in so long that you started to wonder if it was even a part of this team's MO to be able to win that kind of game. So, um the, the irony is that I think Georgia won the Clemson game in a very UGA way, which is to say that, yes, they won the game. It was a huge win, and you wouldn't trade it for a loss, of course. But in the same time, you came out of that game with a lot of questions. So no matter how positive you were about the win, there was still this lingering worry, obviously, about the offense coming out of that game. The defense was unimaginably good. I, I, I could not. We I watched it here uh, with Amy, and I could not imagine the game being any more impressive from a defensive side of the ball. Georgia, from the opening series on defense, dominated up front in a way that I cannot remember Georgia ever dominating in my lifetime. And, I mean, maybe it's happened, you know. I mean, but that I can remember, it was the most impressive defensive performance I can, I can recall. And it was, it was just, it, it, there's a reason I'm stumbling through this is because it's hard to come up with the words to explain just how good it was. You know, Georgia made Clemson look like a crappy team offensively, and they are not. We are going to see over the course of this season, not just the team get better, Clemson's offense get better. We're going to see this week against Tech how good Clemson's offense really is. Clemson is a very good team, and Georgia's defense made Clemson's offense look pedestrian at best. In a way, the win kind of took the wind out of my sails. And let me talk about that a minute. I said before that game that a a victory was obviously (laughs) the most important thing that Georgia could do, but that with a loss... 
Georgia would still have all the, you know, everything would be in front of them. They would have all their goals still out in front of them. There would just be no room for error. And I think as a Georgia fan, we've spent so much of the last few years in that position. You, you lose a game, a really big game that you can't lose. Last year it was Alabama. The year before that, it was the inexplicable loss at home against South Carolina. The year before that, it was the game against LSU on the road. But Georgia's lost that game to put their, their backs against the wall. And in doing so, Georgia's really put themselves in a position where they had every week was like critical. By winning the game at Clemson, you would think that that would create a situation where Georgia can breathe a little bit and the fan base can breathe a little bit, knowing that, hey, the margin of error, or, you know, there, there is a margin of error for the first time in a long time. It's done the opposite. And I said before the game that if Georgia won, it would do the opposite. That the result of Georgia winning that game is that, man, there is nothing but expectations in front of this team now. And there's no way to exceed those expectations. There's no way as a Georgia fan now to come out of this season really pleased with what has happened. To be like just overwhelmed. Oh, you know, the, I told my brother way back in 2017 that we needed to enjoy that season because there'll never be another one like it. Just the the joy of having a team achieve something they haven't ever done before or haven't done in a very long time. Now, the only thing that's in front of this team is either the ultimate level of success, which I don't want to downplay that. It is a huge goal. It's a huge opportunity that Georgia has to go out and do the thing that every Georgia fan wants them to do, which I am not going to say out loud on this podcast for obvious reasons, to do that thing, to achieve that ultimate goal. But there's a lot of Georgia in me. (laughs) And so really where my mind goes is what's in front of us is some sort of crushing and overwhelming disappointment. And where is it going to come from? What's it going to look like? And when's it going to hit us? And as happy as I am that Georgia beat Clemson, it really and truly just felt like it was like, boy, it's the hope that kills you. And it's setting us up for some really tragic and mind-blowing 28-3 to level type of disappointment later in the season. And that that is not good. I am not saying I'm not encouraging that. I am not saying that's how we should feel. I'm just telling you how I felt after the Clemson game. You come out of that game, you get a big win, and for whatever reason, I was demotivated about this season because it just feels like all that's left now is the dread. So... That's why there was no podcast last week. Um, I, I, I'm trying to figure out my schedule as far as like when to record and things like that. And I think we've got it down. I think the podcast is going to come out every Friday early in the day before lunch on Friday. I'll be recording on Thursday night. This week I tried my best to wait because I wanted to see if there was any news on the quarterback situation. But this is this is what the schedule is going to be. So Georgia's win against Clemson and Charlotte was absolutely impressive on the defensive side of the ball it was important for the program to go ahead and get that win offensively it left a lot to be desired and it left a lot of questions and i think more than anything from a philosophical standpoint on the offensive side of the ball it really made me question todd munkin kirby smart jt daniels just what are we doing i didn't understand it and we'll segue a little bit now into the uab 
conversation because as the week leading up to the UAB game kind of progressed, it made more sense why we saw what we saw against Clemson. So obviously JT Daniels, it they they are not very clear. The University of Georgia is not very clear when it comes to injuries, what the injury is, when it occurred, where players are, etc. But it was obvious early in the week that there was some sort of oblique injury that Daniels was dealing with. Now, did he have it before the Clemson game? Did he hurt himself during the Clemson game? Uh, one of those two things happened. And so I think when you look back on Clemson and you understand that the starting quarterback was dealing with an oblique issue, there was a reason then to the question of, okay, why did we never even take a shot downfield? I understand you listen to the press conference after the game. JT and Kirby were very in sync in saying that they were playing a defense that they didn't necessarily uh, expect. But when they played that, that, that they were going to dump it off and they were going to take what the defense was giving them, which, I mean, again, philosophically, it does make sense. But at no point during the game did they take a shot, not one time. And that seems strange until you factor in what we ultimately found out, which was Daniels wasn't 100%. So if Daniels is not 100%, you're not going to put Stetson in that game because then you've acknowledged there's an issue, right? So Clemson, even though they were sitting on those routes and they weren't respecting the deep ball, they are still playing JT Daniels, who has, you know, the, at least the perception and has put on tape, hey, he can play quarterback in the SEC at a very high level. I'm not saying that Stetson can't, but there's a difference when you're Clemson playing defense against JT Daniels in that offense. You're going to be a little bit more conservative. And so, yeah, maybe you're not worried about the deep ball because Georgia's not throwing it deep, but you still have to respect the talent that Daniels has. And that ended up being. I mean, just barely enough for Georgia to win that game. Um, so as the week progressed leading up to UAB, there was a lot of conversation about who was going to start. And by midweek last week, it was pretty obvious that JT Daniels was not going to play against UAB, mainly just because Georgia wouldn't really need him, and you're going to need him throughout this season, so why not give him a week to get better? And... All of the reports starting on Thursday of last week were that Carson Beck was going to get his first start uh, as a Georgia Bulldog. And I was excited about that. I was reading a lot about it, thinking a lot about it, you know, uh, excited to see what Carson Beck could produce. And I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast, but my family and I are now season ticket holders and very proud of that. And so this was the first game that we were going to all together. And I can tell you that when they announced Stetson Bennett as the starting quarterback, there was a chorus of boos that rang out through Sanford Stadium. I did not boo personally, but it was just because I wasn't in my seat yet. But I heard booing, and now I know what that was. Um, but I was very disappointed when Stetson Bennett came out for the first play of the game. <laughs> if you watched the game, you know that one play later, everyone shut up, myself included. And, and, and there's going to be a little bit of a mea culpa part to the podcast today because I think it's only right that I just say that I was wrong. Stetson Bennett played one of, statistically, one of the greatest games a quarterback has ever played at the University of Georgia. At one point, he was 5 for 5 for 245 yards and four touchdowns. He was 4 for 5 on touchdown passes. That's insane. 
for the game. He had five touchdown passes, tying David Green for the all-time record of touchdown passes in a single game for a Georgia quarterback. It was impressive. I don't care who the opponent is. I don't care if it's UAB. I don't care if it's Austin P. I, it doesn't matter. To go out there, those guys are on scholarship too. UAB's not a terrible team. We'll see that play itself out over the course of the season. And Georgia dominated that game offensively. Offensively. Something that seemed impossible a week prior that the Georgia offense could dominate anybody at any point. And they came out, and it was absolutely insane what Georgia's offense was able to do. The defense played very, very well. You know, you've got your negative Georgia fans who are going to come out and say, well, that run defense, uh, they, 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 they left some gaps open, and, you know, UAB was able to run the ball a little bit. They were. They scored nothing on the defense. They were able to run the ball a little bit, but they scored nothing on the defense. You also got your naysayers that come out and say, well, Georgia didn't run the ball very well on uh, on UAB. And they're, they're right. Georgia didn't run the ball very well on UAB, but UAB was stacking the box and daring Stetson Bennett to beat them. And so he did, and he beat them into oblivion. So <laughs> it's, it's really interesting because you could not have – two games to start a season that were more different, right? You've got a 10-3 defensive struggle, and you've got a 56-7 blowout win where your offense looks like a juggernaut. So, as we always seem to be doing with this program, will the real Georgia Bulldogs please stand up? Maybe we get some answers this week, and so we're, we'll kind of pivot. I do want to introduce a new thing that I'm going to do every single week for all the home games. Uh, as I said, we are, we're going to be at the games this year, all the home games, and so uh, I, anybody that knows our family knows that Henry, he had a lot of fun running around and uh, you know being distracted by all the things in the stadium, but Harrison really locked in and watched the game, and so we're going to have Harrison's play of the game. Uh, for each of the Georgia home games. And it was Keely Ringo's interception that was Harrison's play of the game for this past game because what was so impressive about it was just the the absolute athleticism shown by Ringo. Now, Ringo, I, I mean, for me, and obviously Harrison wouldn't really put this all together, but for me, it was a special play because Ringo had been called for pass interference a couple of times the week before, and he had gotten picked on. I mean, he's a, he, you know, he, he's not a true freshman, but if you, you know, the, the NCAA doesn't count last season. So in a lot of ways, he, you could say he is still in his first full year. He didn't really play at all last year. So, you know, he's making his first, appearance he's getting his first significant playing time uh as a georgia bulldog and, and clemson went after him and he picked on him and he got a couple of calls that were good pass interference called there was one that i thought was a little harsh uh but he he did not have a great game of playing the ball in the air he he obviously has the physical skills to stay with great receivers which is you know you can't teach that right but his inability to get his head around, his inability to play the ball in the air really cost Georgia on those penalties against Clemson. And it was really nice to see him come back against UAB and make just a spectacular play and uh, getting one of the uh, the interceptions that Georgia had. And we got to see the uh, spike squad out a few times for Georgia as there was all kinds of havoc in the form of pressuring on the quarterback. You know, even, even though UAB ran for 
a few yards on the ground. There were still tackles for loss, and Georgia did a fantastic job of forcing turnovers against UAB. So that's our review portion of this week's podcast, just kind of looking back at Clemson, looking back a little bit at UAB. Let's pivot now. Let's move to the the viewing guide, and let's talk about where you should be looking if you're going to watch television this weekend in the world of college football. Let's get started with this week's viewing guide. Uh, there's not really much going on tonight as this episode is dropping on Friday. I don't think there's anything that's really worth taking the time on a Friday night to watch. Uh, so we'll start with noon. So right after game day goes off, uh, we've got a lot of quantity with the noon games. I don't know how much quality we'll get, but honestly, top to bottom, week three, not the greatest week in college football so far this week. We're really missing a marquee game, and there may be some fans out there saying, wait, there is a marquee game in the afternoon. We'll get there. We'll get there. But uh, at noon, you really have four games to kind of flip around through. So you've got Nebraska at number three, Oklahoma. That's the big noon Fox, big Fox game of the week. Uh, It's the 50th anniversary of the game of the century. Uh, This is a, a game played in 1971 between Nebraska and Oklahoma, one versus two at the time. You know, I I joked with somebody earlier this week, it was pretty audacious in 1971 to call something the game of the century, uh, knowing there was 29 years left in the century. Uh, But that is what they did. So uh, this game could very well be one of the main reasons that Oklahoma is headed along with Texas to the SEC because uh, all reports are that people were very upset about the fact that this game was going to be at noon. They really wanted this to be an afternoon game or a night game even, but because of the TV contract and and just kind of what Fox wanted to do, they put this game on and they're – their premier spot, which is Big Noon, which means this game is kicking off at 11 a.m. Uh, local in Norman, Oklahoma on Saturday. So that game on Big Fox. Uh, over on ESPN, the game that will come on right after game day, number eight Cincinnati goes on the road to play Michael Penix Jr. in Indiana. This is a very interesting game to me because so far this season, you know, Indiana had the big loss in uh, week one against Iowa who has looked like a juggernaut to start this year. But Cincinnati was that team last year that just couldn't really get over the hump because they didn't have that marquee win. Now, I think Cincinnati would have really benefited from Indiana playing better against Iowa earlier in the year, so I'm not sure how much this is going to be a marquee win. But at least for Cincinnati, it is an opportunity to go on the road and play a you know Power 5 conference school that has some talent. So uh, number eight, Cincinnati on the road at Indiana at noon on ESPN. A very interesting game on FS1. Virginia Tech, number 15, coming off that big win in week one over North Carolina to start the ACC schedule off with a bang, goes on the road to play West Virginia. Um, West Virginia is actually favored in this game. So over on fourth and wrong, this was my uh, – this was my bold prediction of the week that I think Virginia Tech goes into uh, Morgantown and gets a win. But that's an interesting game, and it kicks off at noon on FS1. 
And then the last game that I'll kind of tell you about, ABC again at noon, Michigan State goes on the road to play number 24 Miami. I think Michigan State is going to end up winning this game. I don't think Miami is very good. Um, they obviously got shellacked week one against Alabama. They looked very unimpressive last week against Appalachia State at home in a game that the most interesting thing that happened was the cat dangling on a wire above the stadium. Uh, so if you haven't seen that video, just Miami cat, and you'll probably you'll probably get it, but dramatic footage. Uh, and I saw multiple clips of that cat dangling from the top of Hard Rock Stadium. I saw no highlights from the Miami-Appalachian State game, and I think that tells you all you need to know about Miami. Uh, Notre Dame is playing on NBC on Saturday afternoon, which means we get that weird two o'clock kickoff. So Purdue, a team that has started the season two and zero and looked, you know, maybe surprisingly impressive in doing so, goes on the road to play number twelve Notre Dame, who looked absolutely vulnerable last week when they uh, they got everybody to subscribe to Peacock to see if they were going to see a, a big upset. So Notre Dame drops a little bit in the polls. I don't think Notre Dame's going to struggle at all. They haven't looked great. They didn't look great week one against Florida State, a Florida State team that turned around and lost this past weekend uh, to Jacksonville State. But I think Notre Dame will get right and they'll end up winning this game. But this is the game that could maybe kind of salvage the afternoon a little bit. If none of those noon games really hit, then you might be able to pick up Purdue and Notre Dame on NBC at 2 o'clock and that kind of bridge the gap through the afternoon if the noon games produce a bunch of blowouts. Now, at 3.30, you have what some people would say is the marquee game of the week, and that is number one, Alabama, on the road at number 11, Florida. This is CBS's uh, SEC, SEC on CBS. I'll get it right if I try enough. Uh, This is the the SEC game of the week. This is their first broadcast of the year. So you're going to get Gary Danielson. You're going to get, you know, the whole team there, Tracy Wolfson, the whole bit. the reason I am not really interested in this game now, depending on when we leave to go to the Georgia game, I may or may not watch a little bit of this, but let's be honest. If you are a, a college football fan and you have gotten excited about any Alabama games in the last couple of years, you know how this game ends. You've seen it play out already. So I have no faith that Florida can hang with Alabama. I don't think Florida is the 11th best team in the country. I think that's ridiculous. And I think all this game is going to do is people are going to see number one Alabama beat the holy snot out of number 11 Florida. And somehow they're going to manage to overrate my uh, Alabama after this game. Now, that doesn't mean that Alabama is not number one and they're not very, very good because they are. But this win's going to look a lot better on paper than it's going to look by by the end of this season. I think Florida has some serious issues. I think Anthony Richardson, number 15, that is a better quarterback than Emory Jones. But for some reason, the clown of all clowns, Dan Mullen, won't just turn the reins over to Anthony Richardson. So if Richardson was the number one quarterback going into this game and if he was fully healthy and I knew he was starting – I would actually think, I mean, there's no chance that Florida would win the game, but I'd be more interested to see how Florida's offense looks uh, under that scenario. But as long as they're still playing two quarterbacks, you got two quarterbacks, you don't have any. Georgia proved last year that that was the case, and I think Alabama is going to destroy Florida. Uh, And I think 
that uh, they're going to have a lot of time to kill on Saturday afternoon on the first CBS broadcast of the year. The other 3.30 game uh, over on ABC, the North Avenue Nerds from Tech travel to play an angry Clemson team uh, who is now still sitting there at number six. Uh, Tech is not very good. That's all I have to say about that. Clemson uh, may not be quite as good as they've been over the last five years, but Tech is a bad football team. Uh, so I think you're going to see Alabama and Clemson destroy teams at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. The 7 o'clock game that most of the people that listen to the podcast will be watching is South Carolina at number 2 Georgia on ESPN. Obviously, we're going to have a full breakdown of that game coming here in just a few minutes, so we'll skip over any details now, except to tell you that at 7.30, the ABC game of the week, that Kirk Herbstreet, uh, Chris Fowler broadcast, he got number 22 Auburn at number 10 Penn State. Now, there is a small part of me that's a little bit sad that I am going to be at the game while this game is on because I think this is a this this is a very interesting game for the rest of the season. If Penn State is who we think they might be, then Penn State will win this game at home in front of the whiteout crowd and continue their trek towards a collision course with Ohio State later in the season. However, Auburn comes into this game ranked number 22. Now, I think that's garbage. Auburn hasn't beaten anybody worth a darn. But yet, because they're 2-0 and they have some name recognition as Auburn, they're ranked number 22. So, if Auburn wins this game, then the SEC... West, the dynamics in that division, and you know, and you know, selfishly for Georgia, the dynamics of Georgia's uh, season change dramatically if Auburn is good enough to go on the road and beat Penn State on Saturday night. The uh, the late game that if you just can't sleep and you 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 haven't had enough football by the end of the day on Saturday, number nineteen Arizona State, who is maybe a dark horse in the Pac-12, uh, goes on the road at number twenty four BY or twenty three, excuse me, number twenty three BYU, coming off uh, a big win last week against Utah in the Holy War. That game's on ESPN, so that game's going to immediately follow Georgia and South Carolina on ESPN. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting game. And while a lot of folks listening to this probably think to themselves, there's no chance in the world I'm going to watch that. If you find yourself having trouble sleeping, that one may be a surprisingly good game. It may end up being the best game of the day. Uh, and it will end sometime around 1.45 in the morning, so much of us will not see it. But uh, just remember when you wake up on Sunday morning, I told you that might be a good one. Moving on to this week's game against South Carolina, uh, you got to really just talk about South Carolina. I mean, there's there's really not much to say about the game, but we'll let, let's at least talk about it a little bit. You know, South Carolina has gone through a transition. Obviously, uh, their old coach, Will Muschamp, will be on the sideline for the Dogs on Saturday night. Uh, new head coach Shane Beamer was the former tight ends coach at UGA for a couple of seasons. He is obviously the son of legendary Virginia Tech coach Frank Beamer. Um, said some interesting things this week that seemed to conflict a little bit. So he told Paul Feinbaum earlier this week that South Carolina's 20-17 win on the road as they kicked a last-second field goal last week to beat East Carolina will help them against UGA. 
Now let's just sit with that for a moment. You go on the road to play East Carolina. You trail for much of the game and kick a field goal at the very end to win 20 to 17. And that is going to build character as you head into Sanford Stadium on Saturday afternoon. He also said in one of his press conferences throughout the week, maybe I believe it was on Wednesday when they were talking uh, to the, uh, the national media, this is the most talented team in the history of the University of Georgia's football program. Um, which just leads me to ask a simple question, which is it, Shane? Does it matter that you guys went on the road last week and beat East Carolina? Or is this the best team in the history of Georgia football? Because uh, both of those things don't seem like they could logically be true. But uh, we'll, we'll digress away from that a little bit. Interesting story. You're probably going to hear a lot about it if you haven't already. Zeb Nolan is going to be the starting quarterback, uh, it seems, for South Carolina on Saturday night in Athens. Um, Nolan is a uh, product of Oconee County High School, grew up in Watkinsville, Georgia. He is a six-year graduate assistant. So he came to South Carolina this year to to be a grad assistant, not to play, but he has a year of eligibility left. And uh, when their starting quarterback, Luke Doty, went down with an injury, uh, apparently he's the second best quarterback that they had that had any eligibility left. So he's played fairly well in his first couple of games. Um, you know, 26 of 45, so about 58% on the year, 335 total yards. That's not in just a single game. So 335 in two games, five touchdowns, one interception. Um, you know, he's going to have a rough night, let's be honest. I mean, it's a great story that this young man who grew up, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 minutes away from the stadium is going to start for an SEC school uh, on a big Saturday night SEC game in Sanford Stadium. Uh, that's a great story, and it's a great moment for that player and his family. Um, he's going to get killed, guys. The South Carolina team is not very good. So uh, by the end of the night, it's not going to be great for Zeb Dolan, but it's going to be a nice moment for him, his family, and his friends when this game starts. And it's a cool, uh, it's a cool thing to have happening. Uh, the problem that Zeb has is that he's a grad transfer, and uh, this Georgia defense – is going to eat him alive. And they're going to eat the offensive line of South Carolina alive. And um, it's going to be a very, very rough night for Mr. Nolan. Uh, three running backs that kind of, you know, split carries for South Carolina. Uh, Zaquandre White leads the team in rushing yards this year. JoJo McDowell and Marshawn Lloyd also have gotten uh, a, a few carries each. The primary wide receiver, seven catches, that's more than double anybody else on the team for 143 yards, again, highest on the team. Josh Van, he has one touchdown. What's very interesting is, you know, Nolan has thrown five touchdowns on the season, five different receivers for those five touchdowns. So, um, you know, they they have players. You know, this is, that, this is a step up in talent from UAB. Let, let's not mistake that. But as... <laughs> Shane Beamer properly pointed out this very well could be the most talented Georgia team uh, that the program has ever fielded. And let's be honest, unless something catastrophic happens, Georgia's going to win this game. Now, I think as long as Daniels or Bennett start and play this game, then Georgia will be fine. Uh, we'll take a moment now to talk a little bit about 
not super impressed with Carson Beck. And and I don't want to take a knock at him. It, it, it's not that he will never work out. You know, this is not, to me, a Dwan Mathis situation. He didn't look completely lost. But he you could tell the game was moving a little fast for him, for sure. And he settled in. He ended up getting a touchdown pass kind of later in the game. But his first couple series, well, the first series was just complete crap. They put him in there. He handed the ball off three times. We punted. That didn't matter. That wasn't his fault. But the second series, he actually got, you know, some opportunities to make some throws, and, and he did not look good. He did not look ready. Uh, I had somebody text me this week asking if uh, the true freshman Vandergriff uh, had any chance of starting in this game. My answer was, God, I hope not. Uh, listen, the days of Georgia wanting to start true freshmen uh, at quarterback are over. That never needs to happen again. It wasn't good when it happened before. It was like a pleasant surprise that things went as well as they did uh, with Jake Fromm. But we don't want that to happen, guys. There's a reason that we have depth at quarterback. We've got a five-star guy in JT Daniels who uh, who's pretty good. We don't need the guy that was playing at Prince Avenue last year to be our quarterback. So uh, I, I was waiting uh, this week to record to see if we could get some breaking news on the quarterback situation. To this point, it's kind of late on Thursday night, and there is not a decision or there's not even any rumors out right now. So the the report from earlier in the week was that Daniels was progressing and he felt a lot better than he did last week, uh, that Stetson Bennett was having some lower back stuff. None of it sounded really, you know, critical. But, you know, we also saw Georgia go out there with JT Daniels apparently healthy against Clemson and then not attempt to pass over 20 yards for the entire game. So it's hard to know what may be coming. Uh, But as long as Daniels or Bennett play in this game, I think Georgia's going to run away with it. And I think, you know, maybe it's a little more competitive in the first half. Maybe they'll come out and just blow them away like they did UAB. But at the end of the day, Georgia's have much, much more talent than South Carolina does. This is a rebuilding program at South Carolina. And let's be honest, sooner or later, South Carolina has to wake up and realize who they are. Okay? They are not who they were for three years of the Steve Spurrier era. That was the aberration, folks. That wasn't the expectation. You got really lucky that you had generational talent three years in a row in the state of South Carolina and you got them to come to you before Clemson turned into what they are now. You are a second-rate program in the state of South Carolina, which is, let's be honest, not a hotbed for high school football. Calm down a little bit, South Carolina fans. Recognize that you and Kentucky have way more in common than you do with Georgia or Florida or the top teams in the country, okay? And that's no disrespect to Kentucky. They're very good this year. But anyway, let's prediction time. I think Georgia's going to win this game somewhere in the neighborhood, 38, 41, 10, something like that. Should be a pretty comfortable night, uh, Saturday night in Athens, if if, if we can get the rain all, uh, from uh, pouring down on us inside Sanford Stadium. So that is the expectation for this game, and hopefully that's what we see on Saturday night.
Thank you so much for listening to the podcast this week. Hopefully we can get into a little bit of a better uh, pattern over the next few weeks and be a little more consistent. Make sure we get an episode out every week. But I really do appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. I hope you're excited about the upcoming week in college football. This is one of those get-through-it weeks, okay? There's not, like I said earlier in the show, not that one game that you just have circled. That Like, I've got to be on the couch to watch that one. But this season is progressing. We are getting more and more information about each one of these teams. So prognostication should get better over the next few weeks. I will say this is definitely one of those weeks you just need to enjoy it and recognize that on Saturday night when that Arizona State-BYU game finally ends uh, sometime Sunday morning on the East Coast, we will be 25% of the way through this season. It's It happens so fast. We need to enjoy every weekend. We need to enjoy every game. I hope you enjoy what should be a very fun revenge night Saturday night. The last time that South Carolina came to Athens, uh, they put it on the dogs in double overtime and ruined the 2019 season. So hopefully Kirby has reminded the players on this team what that felt like, and hopefully they come out ready to go Saturday night under the lights in Sanford Stadium. Thank you again for listening. I hope you and your family are well, and as always, go dogs. Mm-hmm.